Well, hey, all my number one schools didn't want me either. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to the top. You don't have to go to Stanford or Harvard or whatever your dream school is. You don't have to go to a D1 school. I, I applied to uh, Dartmouth, Northern Arizona, Stanford, Willamette, and you know I didn't get into some. I got waitlisted at Stanford or waitlisted at Dartmouth. I don't think Stanford ever even got back to me. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, everyone. My name is Kim Peek. I'm a movement and mindset strategist with a passion for running triathlon, and all things fitness. It's my mission to get you moving and help you make choices that will maximize your performance in life, in sport, and in all your pursuits. You can learn more about my coaching certifications and everything I have to offer by going to www.crushingmygoals.com and by following me on all social media as Power of Run. I am so excited to bring you this episode with two-time Olympian Nick Simmons. Nick competed for the United States in the 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games. He is a six-time U.S. national 800-meter champion, and he is the founder of Run Gum, which is a caffeinated chewing gum that is marketed to athletes. If you don't already follow Nick on social media, you really need to check out all of his social media channels especially his YouTube. He is so generous in sharing what he's learned throughout his 20-year running career. And if you are a high school or college athlete or the parent or coach of one, his YouTube videos should be required viewing. We touched on a lot of topics in this interview, but I really wanted to get some solid advice that would help my friends who are high school runners, as well as their coaches and parents. And I think we nailed that goal. If you've been listening to the podcast long, you know it's always my goal to get my athletes to the start of their races happy, healthy, and strong. I hate to see people sidelined by injuries, and I talked with Nick about some of the training tactics that help runners peak when it counts. So let's take a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I'm just going to jump right in. You are a two-time Olympian, and you've retired from competitive running, but I know that you set another big running goal for this summer, I believe, something that you mentioned in a January video on your YouTube channel, which is killer, by the way. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your goal to beat, break 11 seconds on the 100? Yeah. You know, I I ran competitively for 20 years. I started running uh, when I was 13. And I retired uh, at the age of 33, and it was a great career. I loved every minute of it. Um, you know, and I needed some time away from running just to figure out what I wanted to do. And I woke up at the age of 35 after taking a year off, and I, I missed training for something. I missed setting PRs. I missed the structure that came with training. And so I wanted to go back to the track, but after running around in circles for 20 years, my left ankle uh, was it was pretty shot. It won't let me run on the track anymore. I can't, can't turn left around the track anymore. Um, so that really only left one event for me to train for. And that's the hundred, right? A nice straight, uh, hundred meters to just have at uh, a new goal. And I, 
I've never raced the hundred. Oddly enough, I've raced nearly every single distance from 400 up to marathon, but I'd never actually raced a hundred. So it was kind of uncharted territory for me. It presented a, a whole you know, host of new challenges to try to tackle. And, and um, so I thought setting, setting a goal of trying to break 11 seconds would be realistic, but also very, very challenging. And so I said to my YouTube subscribers, I said, I'm going to chronicle this whole journey, which will probably take, you know, at least eight, eight months and maybe as much as a year or two years for me to accomplish. Um, and I'll, I'll make videos along the way so you can see my progress. And so that's what I've been doing for the last four months. Um, my first race is coming up here in, in, in June, I believe at the end of June. Okay. So you are doing this competitively. Yeah. I think that for me to have any chance of breaking 11 seconds, I'm going to need competition. I'm going to need to be held accountable and, and I'll need to, it to be in an FAT situation. So I'm, I'm lucky that I live in Eugene, Oregon here. We call it track town USA. And we have a lot of all comers meets throughout the summer that I can actually jump in and race. Wow. How exciting. So you're also into hunting and fishing. And yeah, I grew up I in Boise, so it kind of comes with the territory. Right. And I see that you've set a goal to climb Mount Everest in 2021. How is that going? Or have you kind of put that on hold while you're working to on this other goal? You know, I think that they work together. You know, as I train, as I set, you know, shorter, and I, I'm calling, you know, a year short-term goal, um, that keeps me fit and focused towards my long-term goal, which is to eventually climb Everest. Um, originally I'd set out a really ambitious schedule to tackle one of the seven summits every six months. And I, I tackled two last year. I climbed Karsten's pyramid in Papua New Guinea and I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Um, but due to some political issues with Russia, um, you know, I'd like to go ch climb Mount Elbrus in the, in the Southern Urals next, but um, the guiding outfitters that I've looked to use have canceled their trips again due to that political instability. So Everest is going to be pushed off uh, a few years, which is fine. It's not going anywhere. Um, but I do eventually hope to climb that mountain. That, that sounds amazing. I, I love how you are so focused on goals and you use your social media to help educate all of your fans, viewers, your subscribers on um, even just how to set a goal and how to make sure that you achieve what, what yeah. you're setting out for. It's, it, it's remarkable to me how, how many people out there don't know how to set goals, you know, and it was kind of pounded into me from a young age, whether it was in, in boy Scouts where I, you know, they, they teach you how to set goals, short, intermediate and long-term to work towards your Eagle or in athletics where you have to use it to try to do something that you've never done before and set a new personal best at the end of a season. I think a lot of people out there aren't taught how to set goals um, and how to set the right goals and how to build a path towards achieving those goals. So when it, when it dawned on me that, that people weren't learning that skill on their own out there, I thought, hey, this is something that I could add to their lives, a really important lesson that I could teach people how to, how to set realistic goals how to work towards achieving those big audacious goals that they have for themselves. Kind of a side note, but I was reading the new Rachel Hollis book a few weeks ago, like shortly after it came out. And mm -hmm. one of the things she said in her book was that, you know, she's leading all these workshops all over the country. And some of the feedback that she gets is from women who didn't know that they were allowed to have their own goals or it never occurred to them to have goals. And that's just mm -hmm. so foreign to me. I was that, piece of information shocked me that somebody yeah. wouldn't even have a goal. Yeah. Some people are scared to even put something down because of the accountability that comes with that, right? 
once you've set a goal, especially once you've written it down or once you've told somebody about it, there's some accountability there. And that's the, the important thing is to embrace that accountability, not let it intimidate you, not let it scare you, but say, hey, now I have something that's important to me. I have some accountability. Now, how do I start working towards it? You know, in my own life, I, I set out a goal to get my private pilot's license. It's one of the most um, audacious goals I've ever set. I know it, sound, it might not sound like it, but it's, it's, it's a year's worth of work plus. I, and I'm going back and becoming a student again, and I'm having to remind myself, this is how you set goals. I, trying to get that license is so intimidating to me right now. I'm only five hours in. It, it seems totally overwhelming and totally insurmountable. And I'm going back and listening to my own advice and trying to set those short, intermediate, and long-term goals to build up to it. So right now, yes, I'm only five hours in, but that was my first goal. Get to five hours. I don't have to get to the 40 hours that it takes right. to ultimately earn your PPL. I just have to get to five hours. And now that I've done that, I've set a new goal of get to 10 hours. And that seems very, very achievable, whereas 40 hours seems completely unachievable. Mm-hmm. I love it. Now, in addition to being an Olympic runner, Olympic caliber runner, you are also an entrepreneur and the mm-hmm. founder of Run Gum. And yeah. I think I read on your website that that kind of started because you have a degree in biochemistry. Yeah, I studied biochemistry at Willamette University and I was sponsored by Nike and, and all these energy gum companies, excuse me, energy drink companies were sending me their energy drinks. And I didn't like that I was being asked to drink this heavy, acidic liquid before working out. You know, I loved the way the energy drinks made me feel. The caffeine, the taurine, the B vitamins gave me this euphoria and focus and energy that, that really helped in training and racing. But again, it just was the wrong way to consume those stimulants. So the way that Nicorette uses chewing gum to deliver nicotine to the system uh, through sublingual and buccal absorption we use chewing gum to deliver caffeine, taurine, B vitamins to the system. So it's much faster than ingestion and it is a lot more affordable because we're not shipping heavy liquids around the country. So you might pay two or three bucks for uh, a Red Bull or a five-hour energy or something of that, that nature. Even a Starbucks now is like four bucks. Mm-hmm. Run gum, uh, if you go to rungum.com and subscribe, you can get it for a buck fifty a pack. So very, very affordable, very powerful uh, boost in energy and focus. So how do you recommend that people use run gum? Is it something you would use on an everyday run or only in competition or what's the recommend recommendation? I created it um, as a pre-workout and as a boost for racing. And so that's how we originally used it. Um, Now that I don't really train and race like I used to, I, I use it more in the afternoons. After lunch, I get really sleepy like a lot of us do, you know, that one o'clock kind of lull in the day. And so I'll chew a pack of run gum at one and I just feel so much better for it throughout the afternoon. I feel like I'm able to accomplish a lot more. I'm more energized and more focused. Um, So I still use it as a pre-workout if I know I have a big workout coming up or if let's say, you know, I'm trying to get a workout in before work and I'm up at 5 a.m. I'm not going to sit around and brew a latte and drink it and wait for that to absorb. I'm going to chew a packet of run gum on my way to the gym. So I think there's a lot of applications for it. I tell people, hey, this is a handy, convenient, affordable boost in energy and focus whenever, wherever you need it. Um, frequent flyers love it because of the, it counteracts jet lag so well. And unlike an energy drink, which will be confiscated by TSA, they won't take run gum out of your pocket. So there's so many different you know, great applications for this product, I think, in, in, in the lives of very busy, hardworking men and women. 
Awesome. So you also have a video called How I Went from a D3 School to the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. And I love what you share in this video. I think it's so important, whether you're an athlete or a musical theater kid or a kid who has the highest SAT score at their school. Since we're apo- approaching graduation, what words of advice would you have for kids who won't be attending their dream school, either due to lack of scholarships or because their number one school just didn't want them? Well, hey, all my number one schools didn't want me either. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to the top. You don't have to go to Stanford or Harvard or whatever your dream school is. You don't have to go to a D1 school. I I applied to uh, Dartmouth, Northern Arizona, Stanford, Willamette, and, you know, I didn't get into some. I got waitlisted at Stanford or waitlisted at Dartmouth. I don't think Stanford ever even got back to me. Um NAU wasn't the right fit for me. And so I went to Willamette and it was the right fit for me. And I always tell the kids, like, just, just go to the pro, go use what you've got, first of all. So, you know, if, if, if cost is an issue, there's nothing wrong with going to community college for a couple of years and figuring out what it is you want to study. I mean, that's the, that's the most affordable way to do it. Um, I, as far as education goes, it, it, it is what you put into it is what you get out of it. So you can get a fantastic education at a community college. You can get a really crappy education at Stanford. You know, that's the reality. It's, it's what you put into it is what you'll get out of it. So find, find the, first of all, identify what your mission is. And then we always say that when we're in pilot school, what's the mission here? The mission in going to school could be to run as fast as you can. In that case, you need to find the coach that's going to get you there. The mission could be to get the best brand education that you you can get out of it. And by brand, I mean a Stanford degree has a certain brand to it. That might be your primary goal. I, I don't think that's the most uh, healthy way to go about college, but it is something that you can pursue. Um, my mission was twofold. It was to get a great education in the sciences. I, I studied biochemistry and it was to have as much fun running as possible. And for me, that meant going to a division three school. Those two things were were balanced really well in the D3 program that I went to. But uh, young kids, they, they need to not get caught up in trying to impress their friends. They need to not get caught up in trying to impress their parents. They need to look inside their heart and say, what is it that is going to make me happiest and most successful four years from now? And they need to follow that path and be, be true to themselves. I think that's great advice. Now, I do have some questions for you geared toward high school runners. One of the problems that I see is that High school runners, maybe they do both track and cross country, and I feel like they're running constantly all year long. Basically, I think we're talking period, I can never say that word, periodization. Periodization, Um, Just that they're, they're maybe whether it's the coaching or some other pressure that they're getting, that they can't accept not being on top of their game at that first meat of the season. And I yeah. think that that's leading toward to lots oh, of, it's a, hor- it's a horrible way to approach a season. So if you try, what? if you try to be on, on the first meet of the season, you're going to have a horrible season. Right. So how do you recommend that parents and their high school athletes handle this when the kid really isn't in charge of themselves? They're having coaches from multiple seasons, maybe even tell them yeah. what to do. And then within yeah. your season, maybe you're track coaches making you do XYZ workout. How do you manage that? It's, it's tough when you're in high school because you're kind of at the mercy of 
you know, whoever they hired to, to coach the team. Right. And, you know, I, I think one of the reasons I'm so successful over 20 years is that I was really fortunate to have an amazing high school coach. Tom Shanahan was a student of the sport. He coached both the cross country and the track team. So I had him for the entire year and he understood periodization. He understood that, Hey, on the first day of, of, of on, the, on the, the first meet in March, who cares how you run? It's March. Okay. We're trying to peak you for the meets at the end of May and early June at state when it really matters. And more high school coaches need to be students of the sport, need to understand periodization, need to understand the, the cycles that an athlete will go through throughout a year and throughout different seasons. Um, for a high school athlete, you're kind of at the mercy of, of the coach that the school hires. Just do your best to have fun. Do your best to listen to your coach and to learn as much as you can and understand that if you want to pursue the sport after high school, there are a hundred and one ways to do so. So it's not like you get to your senior year and that's, that's, that's it. That's the last race you'll ever run. Most athletes don't peak until their mid to late twenties or even into their thirties. So take a long approach into your career and don't get caught up in what, you know, what's happening, you know, in, in March in high school. And then thinking about high school athletes again, where do you recommend that they put strength training into their season? In terms of lifting or in terms of base building or both? Both. So I view base building as kind of like, you know, you're building a pyramid, right? In your, when you're building a season, if you're looking at, hey, I want to be the best that I can be at the state championship in June, first week of June or last week of May or whenever it falls. Okay, we'll work back from that. You need to start building a base basically two weeks after state. So you're building miles up during the summer and you're running cross country and you're building more miles up in the winter. You're building nine months worth of base so that when that track season comes, you're the strongest version of yourself that you can be. I personally believe in lifting weights year round. I know not everybody does, but certainly when you're in season, you need to be lifting weights. Um, And typically I lifted two times, two times a week year round. But uh, for different athletes, that will vary. Okay, that's great. That's very helpful. Is there a coach who stands out to you as being just a coach who you love to run for? And what was it about that relationship that you think was so special? Yeah, I'm super, super spoiled in that I ran for 20 years and I had four coaches and they were all, well, I'm more than four coaches, but they were all amazing. I only didn't get along with one coach in my entire running career. And that, that was the head coach at my at Willamette university, but I loved my high school coach. He was, you know, a brilliant, brilliant coach at the time for me. Um, I, I latched on to coach Sam LaPrey, who has been my mentor and best friend and business partner for 15 years. I met him at Willamette university, Ke- coach Kelly Sullivan, uh, Frank Gagliano, my first pro coach and Jimmy Radcliffe, uh, Mark Rowland, who coached me to, uh, to a world silver medal. And then of course, Danny Mackey, who I finished my career with uh, at Brooks running. These guys all have one thing in common. They're all incredibly selfless and incredibly patient. And I think that is the recipe. Those are the characteristics that all great coaches have. They're in it to help people, to help people achieve their dreams. They're, they're not in it for their ego. I've seen coaches that are in it for their ego and they're horrible coaches. Um, And they're very patient because the athletes that make up the athletes that end up being great at any level, high school, college, professional, they're high maintenance. 
you're not going to get a great athlete that's not high maintenance. And a lot of patience goes into coaching somebody like that. So again, I got, I just got freaking lucky that I found myself um, under the wings of a lot of really great coaches, but um, you know, not, like I said, not every coach out there is great. And sometimes you're going to have to be patient when you're with a coach that maybe isn't the right fit for you and know that, you know, over the course of, of a lifetime, you're going to be coached by a lot of great, great people. Do you think that there is, for somebody whose goal it is to run maybe in college, I know that there's so much pressure on kids to start, start a sport young and then to start specializing early. Do you, what is your recommendation for when you choose a sport? And then do you think that there's ever a point where it's like, ah, too late, you started too late, you don't have a chance? I think in some sports, there is that, right? Um, if you want to be the world's best golfer, you better start early, right? You're not going to pick that sport up. In today's world, Jack Nicklaus uh, actually was able to do it. But you're not going to pick that sport up in your 30s and all of a sudden be a great golfer uh, and playing on the PGA, right? You, there are certain, you know, Mal- Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to be great at something. You got to start logging those, those hours in pretty early. But, you know, when it, when it comes to a sport like running, you can start later on in life. I didn't start running until I was on a competitive level until I was 13. But I do believe that you can start building a foundation really early. So choose sports early on. I, I played every sport under the sun when I was a kid. I started playing soccer. I swam. I mountain biked. I chose sports early on, but I didn't specialize until I got into college, right? Even in, even in high school, I was still playing ice hockey in the winters. Um, I was still out mountain biking in the summers. I, I didn't train year round as a runner until I got to college. So there are sports you will need to, to focus on and specialize early on. Um, but running doesn't happen to be one of them. All right. So my degree is in advertising and because oh, I'm a in, great degree to have. <laughs> and because, Yeah. But you know, back when I went to school, we didn't use computers and I feel like my kids learned everything that I learned in all four years of advertising school. Yeah. Um, yeah. the freshman year of high school. So, you know, you have to be a lifelong learner. I think you are 100% agree with that. You have to be a lifelong learner, especially in today's digital world. What we're learning today will be, you know, t- ancient news in three years time and will be completely different. So you've got to be a lifelong learner. Okay. Yes, I agree. So I'm wondering if we can talk about, or if you're even allowed to talk about the conflicts that took place related to sponsorships and then athletes right to wear their own sponsors logos on their body or their uniforms during big championship events. Yeah, it's a really complicated subject because when a pro runner competes in any meet, they're going to be They're going to be under a certain different set of rules and guidelines, right? So if I compete at a random race in Europe, um, it might not even be IAAF sanctioned. It may not have any rules for that matter. If I compete under like in a diamond league meeting, which is the highest level of, of, you know, international competition outside of championship racing, that's governed by the IAAF and they have very strict rules and regulations about that kind of thing. And then of course, when I compete at, at anything under the IOC's umbrella in an Olympic event, be it the trials or the Olympic games, that's a totally different set of rules. So my job was to give my sponsors the best exposure I could and to court new sponsors. And I did that by, by displaying their logo or, or their products in competition. But the hard part is that at any given competition, I was playing by a different set of rules. So it was a nightmare to try to figure that out. You almost have to have a degree in marketing advertising to be able to navigate those waters or your agent does. Uh, and so I did my best and, and 
tried to give my sponsors the absolute best exposure that I could when I could. And I think I read an article talking about there was a time where, was it the, even the run gum tattoo that you had on yourself and they made you cover it up? Over. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, you know, you've got athletes out there who even like myself was trying to just promote my own company and they'd be like, you can't display that. You can't talk about, I wasn't even allowed to mention my own company uh, at the Olympic trials. Like, tell me, tell me why that makes sense. You know, I, it doesn't. I, even to this day, even to this day, if like you'll notice in the background, we're, we're on Zoom here. In the background, I've got a Rungum logo. If we were talking and showing Olympic video, I, would, I wouldn't be able to do so. I can't link my brand with the Olympic movement in any way. Um, you know, and on the one hand, I get that they need to protect their, their brand. You know, the, the Olympic logo is one of the most recognized logos in the world. And they've done a great job protecting their brand, but they don't do a good job compensating the athletes for creating the value. And that was my real issue is that, yes, you can create the brand, you can enforce these rules, but if you're going to treat the athletes like employees, then you need to pay them accordingly. And the IOC, of course, doesn't do that. Well, yeah, and that was kind of what I was thinking too. It's not like track athletes are the highest paid athletes out there. And so by putting those restrictions on you, they're kind of limiting your ability to make a living. Completely. Yeah. All right. What do you, or did you, what do you think about the night before a big race? What's going through your mind? As little as possible. If I'm doing it right, you know, you, there's this phrase that you can beat yourself before you even step foot on the track. Um, if you don't channel your thoughts and your energy accordingly, you will waste all of your energy by not sleeping right, by being stressed out, by pumping that adrenaline through your veins prematurely. You have to train your mind to not think about the race. So the night before a race, I'm watching crappy TV. I'm calling my family and catching up with them. I'm reading a magazine. I am not thinking about the race. And I really tried to, to, to channel that energy, my thoughts, away from the race until about 90 minutes before the race. And then I'd start using visualization to imagine myself winning, to imagine myself handling a fast pace or a slow pace. Um, that's when I felt that I, I could start really using that energy towards trying to win the race. But, and if you're spending two weeks out or the day before the race worrying about it, you are going to beat yourself before anybody gets a chance to beat you. When did you start learning those mindset related things? Were you doing this in high school or was it something that a coach worked with you on later on? Yeah, it was in high school. I, again, Tom Shanahan's a brilliant, brilliant man. He taught us you know, how to channel our thoughts and how to use visualization. But I also worked really closely with a sports psychologist by the name of Jeff Trosh um, as a pro. And it's one of those things where you could be the strongest mental athlete, but there are still things that you need to work on to be the best version of yourself possible. And I, I was always fairly strong mentally, but I, I had my own weaknesses when it came to the mental game. And working with a guy like Jeff really helped me recognize where my weaknesses were. When you're in a slump... What kinds of things do you tell yourself to get yourself back on track? Because you're somebody who doesn't give up. You're, you're not going to be defeated easily. So what is it that you tell yourself? The first thing is to understand that everyone goes through slumps. It's not like this curveball that's been thrown your way. Everybody has to deal with them. And the second thing is to say, okay, what's causing this and how can I, how can I get out of it? Nine times out of 10, the slumps come from staleness. They come from trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. And the body and the mind don't handle repetition very well we need new stimulus and so i get this a lot from from young runners saying i'm in a slump what should i do go try something new 
if you're a miler, go train for the 200 or the 5K. Or if you're a sprinter, go try pole vault or long jump. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying for the next two weeks, I'm going to try something totally different. I remember in high school, I went through a really bad slump my senior year. And I you guess what I did? I was, a, I was a half miler, a miler, and a two miler. And I went out and practiced with the pole vault team for two weeks. I, I wasn't going to be a great pole vaulter. I just needed something different for two weeks. I just needed to take my mind and my body away from training for those races. And two weeks later, I got an itch to go back and start training with the distance crew again. And fortunately, my coaches were cool with that. They said they, he's been training so hard for three and a half years. Let's give him a two-week mental break. He's still going to be coming to practice. He's still going to be working out. He's just going to take a quick reset so that he can come back and be even better when he, when he goes back to his main events. You know, and that's what I did. And I think that uh, any high school coach that doesn't recognize burnout or doesn't recognize a, a rut, um, you know, is not a very good coach. And, and we need to recognize that it's part of the training process and that it's easy to deal with if we, if we add new mental and physical stimulus into the, into the picture. It sounds like you've just had some phenomenal coaches. That's I really have. Great. Yeah, I wish I could take more credit for my career. I, I did work hard, but I had a really, really great group of coaches leading me you know, down that path. Do you have any advice for kids who have anxiety? You know, maybe they're great athletes, but they just get anxious right before they run. Do you have anything that you would learn, use? Learn to embrace it. I mean, anxiety is a lot of nerves. It's a lot of adrenaline. It's a lot of fret. And other than learning to channel your thoughts, which is hugely important, you got to learn to embrace it. I remember when I was in high school, I hated feeling the nervousness before races until somebody told me, hey, that, that nervous energy, that's adrenaline, and that's going to make you do superhuman things. You need to learn to control it, but you need to learn to embrace it as well so that when you feel that right before you stand on the starting line, know that that's going to help you run better. Um, I remember later on in my career, when I couldn't get nervous for a race. I know that sounds crazy to some of our younger listeners, but I would be standing on a starting line of an international race and I wouldn't be nervous at all. I'd be like, not another freaking 800. <laughs> That's when you know you need to retire, right? Because you, you have to have those nerves. And I'd, I would chew run gum and I'd listen to really loud music and I'd tell myself, this is important. You need to feel nervous for this because you have to have those nerves. So embrace it, learn to embrace that feeling. That's great. Okay. I have two more questions for you because I know that we need to get on with your day because you are busy running a company. What would you say to high school Nick about training and racing? Um, It's funny because it's kind of a double-edged sword. I was kind of lazy in high school. So on the one hand, I'd want to tell him, you know, you need to focus a little bit more and train a little bit harder. But on the other hand, um, I wish I'd had more fun too. So I wish I had trained harder and, and had more fun while doing it. And that those things aren't mutually exclusive. You can train your butt off and have fun in the process and enjoy the process. So that's what I wish I'd done. I wish I'd worked a little harder in high school and I wish I'd had a little bit more fun. I kind of had the, the worst of both worlds in some cases where I was lazy and, and resented running because I'd always wanted to be better at soccer or ice hockey or some, some, something else. Um, running didn't become something that I truly loved until probably in my mid to late twenties, actually. Wow. So I have always thought that runners and triathletes make the most amazing employees because just their work ethic and they know how to follow yes through. And no. 
They know yeah, how to follow, a good set a goal and follow through. What do you think um, when you go to hire? Do you think that they make yeah. good employees? Do you look for stuff like X, that? X runners and X triathletes make phenomenal employees. Runners and triathletes make horrible employees. And let me explain why that is. A, a, someone who wants to be a great at any sport is going to put their training first. I would look for employees that want to be great at their jobs first and the training comes second. So pro runners make, and I say this as having been a pro runner, make horrible, horrible employees. But once they're retired and once that's become a hobby and isn't their primary focus, they actually make really, really wonderful employees because they know how to work hard. They know how to make sacrifices to get what they want. So, you know, a good example is our director of sales, a guy by the name of Adrian Sherrod. He was an all American runner at Chico, at Chico state. And he tried to run professionally for actually ran professionally for a year out of school, but realized that for him to reach his, his goals in life, he needed to take the same dedication he put towards running and apply it towards being the best salesman that he could. And he is a phenomenal employee. But if he was trying to run professionally right now, he probably wouldn't have a job at run gum because I need I need people here that are trying to be the best in their roles with this company. And sometimes the training can get in the way of that. My own training isn't allowed to get in the way of the success of the company anymore, like it would have when I was a professional. That makes total sense. I worked for a sales consulting firm for a couple of years where I think over half of our employees were triathletes, which I just thought was There's nothing wrong with that. Like I know great employees that say, hey, I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. and work, do my workout between 5 and 7 so that I can get into the office and crush it between nine to five. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I actually work out before work because I think it makes me a better employee because I think clearer when I'm in the office. Um, but make no mistakes from nine to five, you know, training does not get in the way of my job. I'm not ducking out on my lunch break to squeeze miles and I'm here and I'm focused from nine to five. Power Up Your Performance, the name of the podcast, is all about helping people learn how to think, feel, and live like champions. And Mm -hmm. as an Olympian, you clearly are a champion. What are three, three things, three characteristics, three traits that you believe all champions possess? Great question. The, the, The first one that comes to mind to be a champion in anything, it takes perseverance, right? Because to get to the top, to be successful, curveballs and obstacles are going to be thrown your way and you have to persevere. So that's the first one. And, and, that's, that's number one by a long shot. The next two are, will be important, but not nearly as important as that first one. Um, the second one I would say is um, hard work, you know, and, and I know that sounds cliche, but you look at anybody in, in any walk of life, they've worked hard to get there. And I, I don't care whether it's athletics or politics or business, anyone that's successful will have worked hard. Um, and three, it's a sense of gratitude because there's no point in doing any of this if you're not going to look back and be grateful. And I, and I, I'll, I'll use a cautionary tale as, as a case in point. I know Olympic gold medalists that look back on their career with nothing but frustration and disappointment because they never won the world record or never got the world record or vice versa world record holders that look back on their career with disappointment and sadness because they never won Olympic gold. So at some point, whether it's, you, you know, you've set a new PR or you've won a state title or you've even won an Olympic gold medal, stop and appreciate how cool that is, how hard you worked and thank yourself for putting that hard work in. It took me a long time to get there. There was a, there was a point when I was looking at retiring 
when I was pretty depressed that I'd never won an Olympic medal, that I'd never got a world record, you know, all the things that I didn't accomplish, which were tiny, tiny goals that I didn't, not tiny goals, but a tiny amount of goals that I didn't achieve compared to the amount of goals that I had set and actually achieved. And once I looked at that and I said, wow, I actually accomplished 99% of the goals I ever set out to achieve. I had this absolute euphoria and bliss and content feeling of contentedness that I had had worked so hard and achieved all those things. So as you're going down that journey, make sure you stop and, and have a bit of gratitude for how hard you've worked and, and all that you've accomplished. That's a big one. Is there anything that you wanted me to ask or wanted to talk about that I didn't ask? No, very thorough questions. And I, I guess I would just say, um, you know, I, I started a YouTube channel back in January, I actually started a couple of years back, but I started reposting three times a week to dig into some of these subjects a little more. You know, I think there's so many high school and college and, and even after college, there's so many athletes out there, young men and women that have all these questions and, and they don't know where to get those answers. And so, you know, on my YouTube channel, I try to answer these questions of how to be a better runner, how to be a happier runner, you know, how to be more successful in, in a lot of different things that you do. And so I've, I've been really trying to pass on some of this knowledge um, that I've, I've gleaned over the last 20 years. And, and I almost feel I have an obligation to pay it forward because I was so fortunate to be taught by such great, uh, great coaches. So check it out if, you, if you're interested in, uh, in some of those videos. Um, and also, I, I try to give back on my Instagram channel. I answer every single question that has DM'd me. And it takes about an hour every single day to get to them all. Wow. But I do answer every single question that's, that's sent to me um, on Instagram. So that's how you can contact me. Um, I'm across all social media channels at Nick Simmons. And RunGum is on all channels at RunGum. And you can find it at RunGum.com, Amazon.com, and Nationwide in Target. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all the content that you put out there because you really do cover a ton. A lot of Try really to. I, I, I wish I could take credit for it all. I have a good team here at RunGum. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week, and I will catch you next Tuesday.